7 and also Acts 5, verses 12 to 16. And these can be found on pages 1094 and 1097 in the Pew Bibles. So the first reading is Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, the Fellowship of the Believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to every, anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now Acts 5, verses 12 to 16. The apostles heal many. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, the people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joe. Good evening. Uh, a lot of you won't probably know me. It's really nice to be here. I've, uh, since having kids, I've not been to the evening service for about four years. Um, so it's, it's nice to be back after spending many years here uh, with my wife before getting married and having kids. Uh, my name's Toby, uh, so I mainly go to the 10.30. That's uh, where I spend most of my life. It's nice to see some familiar faces. And this evening, I want to talk to you about community uh, and about kind of the title is sort of uh, power within community. Uh, and maybe before we start, actually, we should pray. Let me just finish rearranging furniture. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we believe in you. We believe that you want to speak to us. And we ask that today that you would open up your word to us, that you would open up our hearts and our ears, and that what is of you would ring true and take root in our lives and become something beautiful for your glory and your kingdom. Amen. I think I must have Mike Norris's microphone because it's too small. <laughs> yeah, can I? That would be more comfortable. Sorry, that's a terrible joke, isn't it? <laughs> Dissing Mike's height. Much more comfortable. Right. 
Am I back on? Can you hear me? Thank you, Mr. Sound guys, for not making that a disaster. Um, right, so my first question for you tonight then is, um, how good are you at being um, honest and vulnerable with other human beings? So in terms of, I'm talking about the real kind of deep down honesty, the kind of stuff that you would rather the ground open up and swallow you rather than actually share with them. You know, so how good are you at sharing the stuff that you struggle with, the things that you find difficult and challenging, um, even the stuff perhaps that um, you know, maybe is for you a consistent, uh, repetitive, sinful behavior? How good are you at doing that? For you, is that something that is absolutely terrifying, or are you okay with it? Um, do you kind of, if I, in just in me asking that question, are you sitting there feeling like, I really want the ground to open up and swallow me? I hope he doesn't ask me to tell the person next door my deepest, darkest secrets. I'm not. You're safe. Don't worry. But what I want to say to you tonight is that I think that as Christians, we should be on a journey of um, deepening and improving human connections, deeper Christian community, a deeper connection with the Father through a process of increasing vulnerability. Uh, that's what I want to say to you. Uh, where do I get that from? Well, uh, let's go back to the very beginning, the Garden of Eden. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are a community that have existed for eternity, a perfect community. Through creation, they invited us into that amazing community. So God made everything the animals, the world that we see, and it was beautiful. He spoke all that into being, but we were something different, we were something special, so he came down with his hands, and he took some of the earth, and he, he lovingly shaped us, and he breathed life into humanity. Now, you may have heard it sung, or even said in some songs, uh, that you know, Jesus is all we need, he is enough for us. But when God looked at this perfect human creation in connection with a perfect God community, God said, there's a problem. It's not good that you are alone. God said, you need more. And so he made Eve. The one became two, the two became one, figure the maths of that. And, and so we've got perfect human community. They were naked, and that was okay. And there was no secrets. There was nothing hidden. They did life together, and they did life with God, and it was good. And I would suggest to you that that is what God wants for us. Good human connections, a good God connection. And I'm not necessarily saying we go back to the nakedness. Um, you might be comfortable with that. I'm not. Um, that's what I think we're destined to go back to. But it all went wrong in the garden. You know the story as well as I. Adam and Eve get it wrong. And, but what do they do after they've got it wrong? Is we find them hiding in the garden, don't we? Hiding, and the Bible doesn't tell us what they're feeling, but we can all pretty much work it out because it's the same thing I think we've all felt at some times in our lives. That sense of, I've been caught red-handed, I've got it wrong, uh, I'm ashamed of what I've become, of who I am, of what I do. And the Bible tells us that they wanted to cover their nakedness. And I think that that covering of our external is actually also kind of what we're trying to do of our internal stuff as well, trying to hide that from the people around us and from God. And so that, um, that sense of shame, and that word shame is interesting because it literally means kind of I am bad, which is in complete contrast to what God said when he made us, which is you are good. 
that we think, no, I am bad because I've done this stuff. But God says you are good, and we need to hold on to that. But that sense of shame, that brokenness within them, is what eventually separated them from God. And if you continue to look through the Bible, you'll see it actually separated them from each other. And community begins to break down in the Bible. But God gets involved, doesn't he? And he starts a new community, and he tries to help them connect together to connect again as human beings and also to connect to him through the temple worship and sacrificial system. But it's not quite good enough. Not until Jesus turns up who solves the problem once and for all. And so Jesus, who has given up everything of the Godhead to come and be one of us, is born into humility. But he dies in humiliation. And if we were to take a look at the last few hours of Jesus' life, it is utterly humiliating um, from him being dragged through the, a farce of the courts to them spitting at him, mocking him, insulting him, putting a crown of thorns on his head and a robe on his back and pretending to worship him, only to then whip him and force him to carry his torture device across the streets of Jerusalem with everybody looking at him, thinking he's a criminal when he had done nothing wrong. And he didn't even have the strength to do that, so somebody else helped him. And then eventually we get to the, the hill where he dies and they nail him to the cross and they pin him up there in the mid of other criminals and where he is laughed at, where he is exposed and vulnerable and bruised and beaten and exhausted and feeling abandoned by the Father and he did it all for us so that we don't have to experience that suffering. That's amazing. But while he's there hanging on that cross, I think Jesus teaches us something really powerful and that is that vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability was his greatest strength. That was how he defeated the enemy. And it's very interesting that that is it's from that position that he offers us relationship. Utterly vulnerable, not knowing if we're going to accept him, not knowing if we're going to take him up on the offer and love him back, but he still does it anyway. Amazing vulnerability. There is a TED Talk. Any of you listen to TED Talks? Um, by a lady called Bernay Brown. It's called The Power of Vulnerability. And if you go onto the TED Talk website, uh, you will discover that it's the fourth most popular TED Talk of all time. The geek in me wanted to work out actually how many views is she getting a day. Is it really the fourth most popular or are more people watching it? It turns out that actually with 11,700 views every single day, um, she is the second most popular TED Talk. Um, there, she's beaten by one other, a lady, another social scientist who talks about body language and how we can change our body language to help us feel better about who we are and to help people see us the way we want them to. So, 33,000 people every day watching these two TED Talks that are essentially about human connection and how can I have a better human connection. That's a pretty incredible number, really, isn't it, when you think about it? The world, my friends, is hungry for a better human connection. They want to know how to do it, and I think they don't know most of the time, but we have the answers. Uh, this is what Bernie Brown concludes. She says that we are neurobiologically wired for connection. Uh, what does that mean? That means that the scientific study of uh, biochemistry, our anatomy, and our physiology concludes that it is not good for us to be alone. If only they'd read Genesis. 
It's not good for us to be alone. Bernie Brown goes on to say that actually of the thousands of people that she met and she interviewed, asking them um, to give her stories of connection, what she actually got back was stories of disconnection, stories that said, my sense of shame, of unworthiness, stops me from connecting and having good relationships. And she said also that those people uh, that she met, those that had the strongest sense of community, the strongest sense of worthiness and of good connections, those people considered vulnerability not something that was painful or embarrassing or shameful, but something that was essential for good relationships. And she said that those people also considered that their vulnerability was the very thing that made them beautiful. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what we see on the cross being the first to say, I love you, the first to say, I'm sorry, the first to kind of lay it all out there and offer yourselves in a relationship to someone with no guarantees as to how it's going to be taken, no assurances that they're going to accept you or they're going to take you up on your offer, that you might be rejected. That kind of vulnerability is exactly what Jesus does for us on the cross, just laying it all out there, saying, I'm here, I'm giving it all for you. All you've got to do is say yes, but I don't know, and I'm going to do it anyway, even if none of you take me up on the offer. You know, the worst thing I think that can happen to us is not actually to be alone, but it's to be with people who make us feel alone. Have you ever experienced that? Does that ring true? It's not to be alone in itself, but it's to be with people who make us feel alone. That sense of rejection in the midst of connection is horrible. Now, I'm a reasonably whole individual. I've got pretty good human connections. I've got a pretty good God connection, I think. And if I were to um, initiate a relationship, but I'm not talking about anything dodgy, just healthy relationships here. If I were to initiate that and you rejected me, I'm probably going to be fine. But if I'm someone who doesn't have good human connections, if I don't have a good God connection, if I've been rejected time and time again and I kind of give you a wave or initiate a relationship with you and you reject me, that rejection is going to be devastating. It is going to rock my world. And it may be that you don't even know you've done it. It may be that you didn't intend to. It may be that you didn't even reject me at all. It may be that actually I've been rejected so many times in my life and because my connection's not good with people or with God, I'm just going to read rejection into anything that isn't what I'm expecting you to respond with. And I think that that rejection, that fear of rejection that we all have, we all have it, um, I think that really limits um, our ability to step out into what God's calling us to. And I think it really limits our ability to go deeper in relationships with each other and within community. So my first question to you is really, does that in any way define you? Does that fear of rejection stop you from doing the things that God has called you to do? Does it stop you from having the kind of human relationships that you see other people having and that you want to have and being in the kind of community that you want to be in? I want to get back to the story and we're going to look at those passages we read in Acts. Um, So Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, and he's returned to the Father. The disciples through that process have been quite fearful, they've been a little bit scattered, Uh, some have gone off to go to their old jobs, um, and it's not unusual to find them in a locked room on occasions. And the day of Pentecost comes, and what I find interesting is that on the day of Pentecost, the timing that the Holy Spirit chooses is not a time 
time when they're all off in different places doing their jobs or doing different stuff. He chooses a time to come when as a community they're all together in one place. And he doesn't do it when they're all together in one place behind a locked door. He does it when they're all together in a public place. Because we're told in Acts that when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, that the sound of what goes on is heard by others. And they actually start to accuse them of being drunk. And that's why Peter gets up and does his sermon saving 3,000 people. But there's something amazing that goes on when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. When God brings that incredible God connection through his Spirit, it transforms that community in a really powerful way. They go from being this community who are timid and afraid to a community that are just out there and moving in powerful and bold ways. And God uses them in really amazing ways. And that's what I want to kind of pick up on. What are the elements of that community that perhaps we can learn from in how we do community better? And I want to just say as a caveat, this is not, I, I don't believe this is kind of God's rule set for how we must do community. The book of, the beginning of Acts is Luke's observations of the first spirit-filled community and how they did life together. But I think there's some good stuff in there for us to learn from. So um, there are five things I would say that the early church um, that defined them, four of them are actually kind of listed for us in Acts 2 verse 42. Um, and I want to just walk through them very quickly. So firstly, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, it's not rocket science, is it? You've all got one of these. As Christians, you know that this is essential to who we are and what we believe. And I just want to encourage you. Uh, I'm not going to teach you to suck eggs, but in however you are getting invested in this, carry on doing it, whether it's you know, reading it directly, whether it's Bible study notes, whether it's a commentary or listening to podcasts, can I encourage you to carry on? Because if we want to see God moving in our community, then this has got to be central to it. Um, investing in his word. And can I also encourage you that actually we do that in community because the whole of this book is set in that context. Scripture was for public reading. Scripture was for public discussion. And, and when we come and we do it together, God does something and reveals himself through it. Secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, it says in Acts 2 verse 1, they spent time together. It's not rocket science, is it? If you want to do good community, you've got to spend time together. Some of you who have got a social media addiction, uh, you might want to think about this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with social media. Uh, there are some great advantages to it. It gives us a, a window into people's lives that allows us to quickly break down barriers and build connection because we get to know what they're doing. We get to know what they're about. But actually, if you're only connecting through social media, then I think social media is devoid of the human contact that we really need that allows us to be vulnerable and can bring depth into our relationships. So just kind of a little word of warning. They spent time together. Um, I'm not saying that you need to now crowbar more stuff into your life. That's not what this is about. This is about how they did community and how we do community. And I think there's a big difference. When I was growing up, the fence in my back garden was this big. How big's the fence in your back garden? We, we now live in these very private, compartmentalized uh, buildings. We've got our car that gets us to where we want to go. We, kind of, we do our stuff. We have our project in the house that we do alone or whatever it might be. That's how we live our life. In the early church, that's not how they were. They did life together because it was unavoidable. That was the culture, is that they were just in each other's lives all the time. And I'm not saying that we have to go back to that, but I'm saying that there are some very good strengths in that that maybe we need to learn from. So, you know, maybe when you get home, 
with partners or friends, whatever it is, have a think through, actually, how is it? What are the things that you do in life that maybe you could invite other people into to come and do them with you, to do together, to build relationships, to deepen connection? Thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. We're going to do that later, communion. But at the heart of what we're talking about is that they spent time sharing meals together. And in sharing their time together, what they did was they remembered what Jesus had done. That was central to their meeting together. They remembered what Jesus had done. And they remembered that it doesn't matter kind of whether you've got a high-powered job or whether you're on the breadline. That actually, as brothers and sisters, Christ has leveled the playing field and we come to the table equally to share as one body um, in, in Christ who is our head and that should be a central focus when we come together as Christians. Can you say that that defines your coming together in Christian community, that you remember what Jesus has done every single time because it's central to who we are and it is a great thing to do. You can never do it enough. Fourthly, they devoted themselves to prayer. Is that something that we can say about our community here? Is that something that you can say about your community of Christians in your workplace, in university, um, in college, or wherever it is you are? You know, the other Christians that are there, can you say that actually as a Christian community, you are devoted to praying for that community and for God to move in it? Because that's what these guys were about, living life publicly and openly and doing it for God and praying for the community around them. And the Bible says a whole lot more about doing prayer together than it does doing prayer on your own. You know, two hours of prayer a day is not going to hurt you, but that's not what I'm encouraging you to do. Jesus says that when we come together and the two or three are gathered in his name, he is there with us. Jesus is saying that there is something powerful when we get together and we ask him to do stuff in our world. So whatever your Christian community is, um, the smaller communities I'm talking about, more than just here, this needs to be a feature of who you are and what you're doing. The, um, one of the prayers the early church prayed uh, in Acts 2, no, Acts 4, uh, verse 29, after meeting some, um, some challenges, they got together and they said to God, God, would you enable us to speak your word with boldness? That word boldness means to literally to take risks to be vulnerable for God. I doubt there is a single person here who doesn't want to be able to speak God's word with boldness in this world. But actually what we're doing is we're asking him, God, would you help me to go out there and be vulnerable and take a risk for you? What's interesting about the prayer that they prayed is that after they prayed it, the room shook and God filled them with the Holy Spirit that enabled them to speak boldly. So God's answer, the answer to the prayer was, I'm going to deepen my connection with you and now you can go out and you can be vulnerable and you can take risks for me because you know that you're loved, you know that you're good, you know that you are worthy of good connections. And fifthly, this is my addition from observations in the book of Acts, um, they devoted them, well not they devoted themselves, they, they had everything in common and they lived life generously. If you read through the book of Acts, there's a couple of places where it talks about how they sold all their possessions and they gave uh, wherever there was need. And what I want to say is that I don't think that's a biblical mandate for all of us to bring all our money into church and share it out evenly. That's not what this is about, so you can relax. Um, I think that what this is really about, what the Bible is saying, is that when we come into Christian community, we need to do it 
humbly, knowing that whatever we've got, whether it's skills or gifts or abilities, whether it's finances or whether it's material possessions, that we come into this community as brothers and sisters, equal, considering each other as better than ourselves and seeking to serve each other generously. And I would add to that, that if there is a need in this community or whatever your Christian community is, if there is a need in it, I would say that these guys would say that's our responsibility, that we take that on. That's not the government's responsibility, that's our responsibility. If there's need in our community, we deal with it. That's what they did. That's what living generously is about. So I want you just for a moment to have a think about your community at home, your community at work, maybe social circles, if you belong to sports clubs or anything like that. Who are the Christians that are there? Do you know them? Do you have a good connection with them? Are they people that you could say that actually I can go and be really honest with them? They know what I struggle with. They know what I find difficult in this context. And we're praying for each other. And together we're praying for God to move in this sports club, in this business place. Because if you're not asking for that and you're the only Christians there, then who is? That's what we're called to do. We're called to get out there and be vulnerable, to do life publicly. These guys, when they met, they didn't meet in a church building. It says they met in Solomon's colonnade, which is in the temple grounds, openly, publicly. They did life for everybody else to see. I'm not saying that we need to totally change it all, but in what ways can we get out there and be more public about who we are as Christians, make being a Christian not about having it perfect, but about actually being people who struggle with sin, who struggle with brokenness, but we're wrestling with it because of what Jesus has done and because of how amazing he is, because we believe he answers prayers, because we believe he's the solution to the world's problems, and because we believe that you're not fully human, unless you've got a good human connection and a good God connection. Once we were not a people, but wow, we are the people of God. Isn't that amazing? We've got something amazing to offer the world. 33,700 people a day are watching TED Talks about how to connect, connect better with each other. And God has given us the answers. People are hungry for this connection. I've been experimenting with this for the last six months, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard the words, Toby, I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Or I've never told anybody this before, and I've had a chance just through the process of being honest and vulnerable about who I am as a Christian, what I struggle with, what I'm good at and not, and all of a sudden people start opening up and telling me things about their lives, and I've had some great opportunities to share the gospel. Um, I've not led anyone to faith. I'm not worried about that. I've had some great opportunities to listen to what's going on in someone's life and get alongside them and encourage them and share some stories with them and speak some, hopefully, some wisdom to them, and God is moving in it. We need to be the first to initiate because he was the first to initiate for us. Amen. Do you want to go straight into communion? Have we? Okay.